Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is January 15, and we are in Genesis chapter 24, looking at a bride for Isaac. Now, before we get into this particular chapter today, I want to say a word about where we are in reading the 365 key chapters in the Bible. Many of you noticed that I missed inadvertently omitted chapter 18. As I was making my way through the chapters, I just simply left out on the podcast only chapter 18. I did two chapters on the 22nd chapter, which was yesterday's reading. Today, we are back on track on the 15th. If you will notice your lineup for the year, January 15th, we are scheduled to be in chapter 24, and that's where we are today, and we are back on track, and God willing, I will be able to stay on track and not miss any in the days ahead. And so that's the first thing. Forgive me because I inadvertently tripped you up, and I hope that it did not cause you any kind of undue concern. But I want to share with you that this is a teaching ministry, and And so we are not just covering the chapters that we are going through, but I'm trying to give you the flow of the great redemptive story of God. I call it the Crimson River. Sometimes I call it the drama of the ages. But it is the grand story of God about who he is, who we are, how he created everything that there is, and that he has a plan and a purpose for everything. Everything, every insect, every plant. And if that is true, and even if the sparrow, the small bird, falls to the ground and God sees it, how much more he cares for you, how much more he cares for me. And because of that, we can go to him. Once we are in a relationship with him through Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, our Savior and our Lord, we can go to him and as a father, not as a not primarily as a judge, but as a son, a daughter in a relationship that is based upon blood, based upon adoption, based upon all of those things that make us legally his and we have standing before him and we can go to him and he will hear us. He sees us. He loves us. He cares for us and he wants to conform us to the image of Jesus, his son. And so as we go through this, I want to continually bring this before your mind because many times we get caught up in the details of the great story of God and we forget the storyline. God's going somewhere. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as a substitute for our sins was not the end. It was a great chapter, the monumental chapter, the title change chapter in the Bible, but it's not the end. God is still working. He's going to be still working. And we still have so much 
of his story before us. And remember, prophecy, biblical prophecy, speaking forth the word of God is nothing more than his story written in advance. It's history written in advance. And so as we go through these chapters, I pray that you will remember this. Now, I want to set the stage for chapter 24 and getting a bride for Isaac. Now, remember, I talked to you about digression and how sometimes as you're reading historical narrative, there are digressions. This is so true in understanding the book of Revelation. But it's true in any historical narrative. And when you read through Genesis and you're reading through chapter 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, there are things that if you don't understand this concept of historical notation, historical digression, to give a background story of something else that was going on during that time or something that was going on simultaneously, because the story is not complete in details. And so when we come to the end of chapter 22 and the great story of the binding of Isaac, when we come to verse 20 through 24, it almost seems like there is something out of place because all of a sudden he goes into the genealogy of Abraham and of his brothers. And when it comes to verse 22, he says that his brother Nahor had sons, and one of those sons, the youngest, was called Bethuel. And then verse 23 goes on to expand on that one son, and Bethuel begot Rebekah, these eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abram's brother. Now, that's a very important line because this is setting the stage for chapter 24. It's not just at random. Remember, our modern-day chapter and verse divisions were not put in until several hundred years ago. Remember, the chapters and the sections in Genesis are based upon the word toldot, which means this is the history of, this is the genealogy of, this is the lineage of. And within those chapters, there are storylines. And so you have the story of the binding of Isaac, but it seems random because we have a chapter break in chapter 23 at the end of what we call 22-4. But there is no chapter break there in the scriptures, because what is happening is after this binding of Isaac, the story is being set for the bride for Isaac, because now Isaac is the prominent figure that God's going to work with. The story of Abraham is not over, but the greatest chapter has now passed because Abraham has now made a covenant with God. The sealing and sign of the covenant has been made. We get some background information on the journeys of Abraham. And then chapter 22 is a real high watermark because the emphasis shifts from Abraham and his obedience now to Isaac and his life and what's going to happen after that. So when you come to 22 and verse 20 through 24, you have what seems like an oddity, but it's not. It is just the story is going to continue. 
Now, what throws a kink in what we're doing is chapter 23, verses 1 through 20, as we have them in our Bibles, this is the story of the death and burial of Sarah. And by the way, Sarah is such an important figure in the Word of God and in the story of God that she is the only one that's given a full chapter on her burial, and it really tells us something of the sanctity of the body, the sacredness of the body, and how from time immemorial we took care of the body by burying it and not burning it. Only those who were mutilated, those bodies or those that were under judgment or some kind of horrible situation burned or cremated their bodies. This is not the way that God meant for it to be. God made us body, soul, and spirit, and the body's not a throwaway. We're going to have the bodies that we have throughout eternity only glorified. God, if he had wanted us to cremate our dead, he would have set that up in precept, principle, and pattern, but he didn't. The taking of the body, putting its bones in a sacred place, either in the ground or in a tomb, which is a grave above ground, some way disposing and taking care of the body, and there was maintenance of that after a period of time. All to say is God puts great emphasis on this, and he devoted an entire chapter to Sarah and to her burial place, which became the burial place of not only Sarah, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives. And so Machpelah in Hebron is a very sacred place to this day. Why? Because it's a sacred burial ground. And so that's just a sideline, but sometimes we just run through these things and we don't get the gist of what's going on here. But this is a digression. Chapter 24 is a digression in the story that is starting anew in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 20, where the background is given of where Isaac is going to get a wife. And so after the digression of chapter 24 and the death and burial of Sarah, we start off in 24. So if you're reading a historical narrative, the historical narrative after the storyline of Isaac, which ends in 2219, you would pick up on the new story, the next link in the chain at 2220, and you read that, skip 23, and go right to 24, because now we pick up on the narrative. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord, notice the word Lord, all caps, Hashem, that's the personal covenant name of God. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to his oldest servant, who was probably Eliezer that he had mentioned back in Genesis 15, who was his chief steward, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. That's where they were living, the Canaanites, which had many subsets under them. But the land was the land of Canaan. It was the Canaanite country where Abraham was sojourning, which God said, I'm going to give all of this to you. 
Do not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country, to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And then down in verse 9, it says, So the servant of Abraham, after orders had been given, strict orders about what to do, what not to do, when he would be released from the oath and when he would not be. Verse 9 of 24 says, So the servant that is probably Eliezer. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. Now that seems odd to us at the least. In our culture, what we do when we want to swear an oath is we usually raise our hand, our right hand, the hand of authority, and we swear, we make an oath. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Many times our left hand in some jurisdictions is on a Bible or some kind of sacred book. You wonder what is going on here with Abraham and really what is this? Well, the word thigh is the word thigh. Now, it is used in some scriptures for the place outside the thigh where the sword would go. And so that is it. That's not the usage here. The word here is the word growing. And what happened was this is an ancient ritual that, believe it or not, we still lay hold to today, not in the actual putting of the hand on the thigh, on the groin, but the same concept is with us today. Now, listen very closely. I don't want to be misunderstood here, but what happened was Abraham made his servant put his hand on his growing where his reproductive organs are and swear on his lineage that would come. Now, you say, you're going to have to explain this to me. Well, I feel like Paul Harvey here with the rest of the story, but here goes. The word testify in our language comes from the Latin word Testis, T-E-S-T-I-S, testis. And that's still used today in medical language. It is referring to the gonads of a man. Now, hold on. Listen to me. These are the two oval glands that are located in the scrotum of a man. Now, the Latin word for testis is the word for witness. That's right, like a witness on a stand. It is the word spectator. It is where we get the word testicle. In this sense, the male gonad is a lone translation from the Greek parastatis. Now, that's where we get the word bystander or supporter. Just listen to me. I'll read it again. A supporter at law in medical usage in the dual and plural, the pair of glands lying side by side or the testicles. As a matter of fact, the combining form of para and states from histana means to make stand. Listen, we would compare the Greek prostatus, prostate is what we call it, one who stands in front or ruler in medical usage, that is referring to the gland lying in front, the prostate, lying in front of what? Lying in front of these testimonials, if you will. 
Now, I know that is a long way around, but actually it's a shortcut because the word testify has to do with taking an oath. And when someone stands in a court and gives testimony, what they are doing, they are swearing that what they're saying is true. That's why it's called perjury when you lie. This is a very serious thing. Perjury is a very serious crime. Why? Because you are swearing. You're taking an oath. You're testifying. Basically, you're following the ritual of Abraham when he said, Eliezer, put your hand on the part of my body that represents who I am and the family that I represent down through the ages. And I want you to give testimony that you are going to follow through and tell the truth and do what you say you're going to do. This is how serious our word is. And so Abraham made him literally take hold of his groin and say, I want you to swear that you're going to do this. Now, in Jewish thought, they have another take on it. I say they, that is some of the rabbis, especially one. I won't go into that. But he says that this means in the ancient times that a man would put his hand on a stone or a seat, a place to sit, and the person who was going to take the oath would sit on the hand. That is, the person who's swearing would put his hand down. The person to whom he's swearing would sit down on his hand. Same principle. But it is much less fashionable for our day to just get right to the center of it. What I want you to know is there is biblical, great biblical significance in this because it is through the mail that the seed comes, the generations are counted. It is in the mail that the sin nature is passed on. Paul started talking about this in the book of Hebrews, whom I believe is the theological writer behind that, although Luke probably wrote down the words of Paul as his amanuensis. But the writer of the book of Hebrews, if it is the apostle Paul, he started talking about Levi paying tithes and Abraham paying tithes and how the two, even though they were hundreds of years apart, were connected. And then he said, I can't even get into this. It's too deep right now. Well, that's the way I feel right now. I don't want you to get to swimming around here in a whirlpool, but I do want you to understand what happened here. The bride for Isaac here was to be gotten from the ancestry of Abraham, not the Canaanites. And as Eliezer was about to leave, Abraham said, this is how serious this is. We're making a testimony here. I'll just read it again because I've written this out. The origin of testes and testimony and testify. The word testis is the word witness, spectator, testicle. In this sense, it's the male gonad in a lone translation from the Greek prostatus, bystander, supporter, at law. In medical usage, in the dual and plural, the pair of glands, that is, testicles, lying side by side. And what this is, it is where we get the word witness or testimony or testify. What you're doing when you give a testimony, whether it's in law or whether it's in church, is you're saying what you're saying is true. So we need to be careful that we give accurately the testimonies and not God said this, God said that, God told me God. You better be careful what you say God told you because what God told you, if it doesn't line up with the scriptures, it's untrue. Let me say that again. 
If what you say God told you doesn't line up with the scriptures and is not consistent and confluent with what the teaching of scripture is, some other spirit told you that, or your flesh told you that, or worldly thinking told you that, God will never tell you to do anything that is not in line with his word. Well, I'm out of time for On the Way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.